Abolition. Abolition. May I, may I just start by reading the relevant part of the 13th Amendment and get you to, to explain why it has been such a, such a sort of a misnomer. So it says, in part, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Um, uh, Khalil Mohammed, I had never understood that phrase and how it perverted, in fact, the, the cause of banning slavery in the United States. Well, the 13th Amendment, as you just read, uh, has uh, almost universally been understood as the legislation that fundamentally ended 250 years of slavery. And therefore, the uh, slavery loophole, which is the clause for punishment as a crime, has never really gotten the amount of scholarly um, or legal uh, attention that it deserved. But in fact, it was activated literally overnight, within months of the end of the Civil War. The former Confederate states, as they were going through a process of reconstruction, turned to new criminal statutes in order to re-enslave that population of African Americans. And so it's had incredible utility in the American political economy uh, both in the South and across the nation. This song don't give a damn. damn. If the rhymes don't fit with the DJ quit. Yeah. This song don't give a damn. damn. You can't sing a dance to a camera man to it. This song ain't arrogant. Oh. If you don't try and buy it. Or if your radio denies it. Don't care about what, who got, what pool on TV, or what spot not. Like this, 
Internationals, Amanpour and Company, The Slavery Loophole, with guest speaker and Harvard professor Khalil Gibran Muhammad, followed by Public Enemy, featuring Brother Ali, Get Up, Stand Up. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max Parthas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. Peace, Yusuf. Peace, Max. Peace and blessings be upon you and upon our entire listening audience. Amen, brother. You know, last week, we were part of the Exoneration Nation featuring Ricky Kidd a moving and powerful must-hear broadcast focusing on wrongful incarcerations and the exonerated. This week, we introduce the Abolish Slavery National Network and are joined by two of the lead organizers, Dennis Fibo of Amendment 13th New Jersey and Kamal West-Bissett, one of the organizers for Colorado's Amendment T, which ended constitutional slavery in that state. It's the only state to do so since 1652 when Rhode Island passed the first abolition law in the 13 colonies banning slavery without exception. This is likely one of our, if not the most important episode to date, and we herald the inevitable coming of national change beginning August 28, 2020. We've got some important dates to remember during Black August, but first, Let's hear from Brother Yusuf. How was your week, man? And uh, what did you think of that opening track? I had a great week, week, Max. Uh, A lot of things accomplished personally in my life and things building up towards tonight's episode. The opening track was awesome. You know, it's, it's, I I, I like the reporter, uh, Christine Amanpour. You know, she's really an international correspondent, so I like news that comes from international correspondents because it's a lot of times they're not tainted by, you know, the politics and the things that go on behind the scenes in news reporting. So that's why it's no surprise to me that she had that right there. And it's a great segment. 
And as far as P.E. and Brother Ali, you know I rock with them heavy. You know, a lot of stuff that's within that song. I would encourage people to just look up the lyrics and read through it because they dropped a lot of stuff within that song. So that has me hyped up right now, Max. I'm charged. Word. That was my intention, man. I was... First of all, I want to break down the 13th Amendment right off the bat, you know? And then secondly, I want people to get fired up because, you know, we enter in a new generation right now. This is historic, man. Uh, you know, yes, sir. people haven't really heard about it, but they're about to tonight. Uh, there's a few dates that I want to remember and remind people of uh, before we get into our conversation with our guests. So let's go ahead and start doing that, Yusuf. Okay. We just passed the anniversary of the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March, which occurred on August 19, 2017. This was the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists in modern U.S. history, which involved protests in over 16 states, three countries, and 24 prisons in a national prison slave labor work strike, all of which culminated in March, in the March on Washington, D.C., Word. And uh, we just observed the anniversary of Nat Turner's Rebellion, August 21st, 1831, in Virginia. Turner's Rebellion was the largest rebellion of enslaved people in U.S. history and led to a new wave of oppressive legislation prohibiting the movement, assembly, and education of enslaved people. We see a lot of that happening today uh, with these laws that they're putting out against protesting. Yusuf? Absolutely, and that's something we're going to cover later in the broadcast. Uh, we also remember when the first enslaved Africans were brought into Virginia Colony at Point Comfort on the James River, August 20th, 1619. It was reported that 20 and odd Negroes from the White Lion, an English ship, were sold in exchange for food. The remaining Africans were transported to Jamestown and sold into slavery. Oh, my God, we've come such a long way. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah. August 22nd was the first National Day of Freedom and Justice for all 50 states to ring bells in solidarity at 4 p.m. In every U.S. state to signify we, the people, are standing in solidarity for freedom and constitutional rights for the entire incarcerated population in the United States. There were virtual rallies from supporters in the United Kingdom, Uganda, Nigeria, and the Philippines. That's awesome. That's great to hear. You know, I actually, you know, I was ringing my bell. I couldn't hear any other bells ringing, but I felt them. So it's a great yeah. thing to hear that. No doubt, brother. Well, you know, uh, we have talked enough, and as I said, it's a really important show. So I want to go ahead and start bringing our guests in. Uh, I normally I would ask you to press the number one on your line, but I think I know who it is on the line here. So that's one. And let me get number two here. The number 347 two, number. 347. Help me out if you feel like you can do it there, Yusuf. I'm looking for it. I got, I got 720 him. on the line, and there's 347. Now he's there. I got him. All right. Well, welcome to right. Abolition Today, Dennis and Kamal. Uh, Welcome back, Dennis, and welcome for the first time, Kamal. Thank you. It's so good to be in here. Uh, go ahead. Uh, Kamal, you're our f first timer, so you, you say you speak first. Go ahead. Well, Brother Max and uh, Brother Yusuf, thank you so much for having us on this show. Um, we, cannot, uh, we cannot overstate how significant this issue is. 
Um, it, it is an absolute honor to be on this show. I've, I've been um, dedicated to, to this particular fight for a few years. Um, the, the thing that got me involved with um, uh, what was the campaign to abolish slavery from Colorado's constitution was, in fact, deeply personal to me. That um, I had lost a family member to the system who was um, incarcerated for 21 years for a crime he did not commit. And while working inside of prison, he was, you know, he was forced to work um, uh, for at times 25 cents a day, eight cents an hour, depending on the jobs that he was shuffled in and out of. Um, but he was worked so hard that he got sick. And so he was later diagnosed with cancer and he died three years after his release. And so I, I want to honor his name as he had become an ancestor. That is my great uncle, Joe Bell Jr. Rest in power, brother Joe Bell Jr. Indeed. And welcome back, Dennis Thiebaud. Uh We appreciate you being here with us today, man. Peace, family. Thank you for bringing me on again. No doubt, brother. Anything you want to start with? I just I, want to say I'm super excited about the 28th and the fact that we have all been able within a very short period of time to band together and, and get the movement going. Um, this is definitely history and I'm very proud to be a part of it and be, and build with your brothers. That That's incredible, man. Uh, yeah, you know, awesome. let me start with, awesome. let me start with a question for brother Kamal, uh, unless you want to pass it to, to Dennis, uh, describe to our audience who may be hearing for the first time, uh, what is happening and why? Yes, absolutely. So, <clears throat> so um, what is happening right now is um, a, a culmination of, of different efforts and, and, and movements to abolish slavery from different state constitutions all across the nation. Um, so in 2018, uh, Colorado became the first state to abolish uh, slavery and involuntary servitude. Um, that particular amendment uh, was uh, amendment change was called uh, amendment a and shortly after amendment a uh, we started getting some phone calls from people out of um, Utah and Nebraska and New Jersey and matter of fact um, one of the first calls that we got was actually from brother Dennis Fibo. Um he had just heard about our amendment victory and um, he had wanted to know more about the campaign itself, um, you know, the types of coalition that we, uh, coalitions that we put together, the messaging strategies, et cetera. And he had brought his team of, um, I think it was about four people or five people from New Jersey to come and uh, do a quick video interview of the Amendment A organizers. And so throughout the, throughout, you know, the, um, for about a year and a half, I had, I had been in kind of here and there communication with um, other states. But what we decided to do, starting in, I think it was May, we decided to say, hey, what would happen if we got all of these people on one call together, that Utah is working on abolishing slavery, that New Jersey is working on abolishing slavery, same with Nebraska and California and South Carolina and all these other states what would happen if we just got on a call together? And so we, we all got on, we heard from each other, we met each other. And, and at the time 
I didn't really know exactly what to expect. But by the end of that call, you know, we asked the question, should we become a national network? And the answer was a resounding yes. And so now what we're doing as a national network, uh, we are happy to announce that we have a, a national digital kickoff on August 28th. And August 28th was selected as a very historic and important day in black history here in the United States. Um, that was the day that Emmett Till was lynched. That was the day that Hurricane Katrina made landfall. That was the day that um, Barack Obama accepted the Democratic uh, nomination for president. Um, and so we thought, why don't we make history on this day? And so with that, I am super Super excited to be working with you and Yusuf and Dennis on this on this issue. Awesome, man! You got me all pumped over here. I'm gonna pass the mic to you. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yusuf, you know, uh, yeah, yeah I'm 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 here. <laughs> you know, multitasking as always, but right. You know, I was I was uh, head over heels when Max told me about you know, that there was this coalition because as we all probably could attest to, you know, it gets lonely out there sometimes, man, when you're out there and you have an issue that's so huge that you believe that everyone should be on it, but it's it's sort of like one of the most ignored issues and it's right there in front of everyone's face. You know, that's the thing that really gets me. When we look at historically of what the abolitionists of the past had to do where everything had to be so in secret and you know they were killed for many of the things that they were doing hiding people in their homes helping people escape you know so to actually see that the things that we're doing is right out in the open right now from our march on washington where we were marching through the streets of washington dc you know where the streets were shut down for us and we stood in front of the white house you know, screaming about, you know, uh, repealing and replacing the 13th Amendment and ending slavery. So the question I'll pose to either of you is how does that make you feel? Like when you look at the historical aspect and now everything we can do, we can do it out in the open. So how do you feel about that? I'll go. Um, I find... Sometimes it's a little eerie when you start to look at the the history and, you know, we grow up when they teach us the Civil War and they teach us these certain things. It, it seems so far in the mind of a young person from who you are that you don't really see a direct correlation in the importance of those historical events and how we define who we are today. And as I've continued the movement, uh, especially here in Jersey and dealing with people either accepting or deflecting from the issue. Um, mm-hmm. I see how a lot of the similarities that our ancestors wrote about and spoke about in, in the fight for abolition, um, we definitely are way more privileged than they are and have way more access to resource and information and technology uh, to spread the message about, which is why I think it's happening right now. So that's my take on it. Great, great. Anything you want to add to that, uh, Brother Kamal?
Did we lose him? Brother Kamal, you still there? He might be on mute. On yeah, his make own. sure you didn't mute yourself, brother. Okay, well, Max, I posed the same question to you. <laughs> uh, oh, come on, man. I, from the beginning, known that this fight didn't begin with us, and it, and it may not end with us. The baton being passed, though, is very important. Our ancestors, I believe, are proud of us because they told us that this wasn't over. They fought to the very last, uh, gave their blood and their lives for this, not just for the right to, be, to vote or for civil rights, but for freedom, which supersedes all of that because you can't have the others without freedom. A free man doesn't have those other things. I mean, an unfree man doesn't have those other things. An unfree woman doesn't have those other things. So right. to know that we're carrying this baton right now, even though we all, I'm sure, feel inadequate to the task, uh, it, it just makes me feel like I'm honoring our ancestors, which we try to do on this program every night. I, I want to take it to a, a, another question, too. Uh, and I want okay. to give a few shout-outs. Uh, you know, I met some wonderful people since we've been working on this, Jamila Ross, Coletta, Nathan, Paula, Alicia, Emmanuel, Tariq, uh, of course, Dennis, who's here now, uh, Melina, uh, Kamal, who's here now, Caitlin, Andy, and Lincoln, mm-hmm. and others. These represent people all across the country, man. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one representative, Shalins, I think her name is, uh, I remember, and I can't quote her verbatim, but I remember what she meant. She said that, you know, I have this organization we work with on a political level that makes movements go viral. Uh, we've done it for this group, for that group. She named all these viral movements. She said, we've done it for all of these, but I believe in what's happening right here, right now. That's why I'm a part of this. So I want to put those resources behind you to make this thing reach the whole country as soon as possible. Man, that amped me up when I heard that right mm. there. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, do you want to comment on that? Well, I think um, it allowed us to to put aside the the amount of work that has to go into into that uh, social media campaign. Just campaigning, period, is is a lot of work. It requires a lot of attention, and as a as an organizer, it's hard to be on the street and behind a computer at the same time. So for a whole entity to come up and say we're going to help you with that, that would you know that just kind of made what we're doing a whole lot more valid and a whole lot more real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I apologize. I think I ran into uh, some tech issues a little while ago, but um, I, I, I definitely have to echo that. That one thing that I appreciate um, about the resources that are being provided to us, uh, especially by you, Brother Max and, and, and Yusuf, that we don't have to recreate the wheel. Um, I remember one of our earlier conversations that the pathway has been laid out for us by our ancestors, we just got to walk it. And so I think, um, you know, the re- the resources that y'all have uh, brought to us are a pathway. And so I'm, I've been listening more and more to this podcast and diving into the resources that y'all have. And it's just, um, it's, it's a wealth of information that is extremely important for our campaign. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I appreciate all that. All together now. <laughs> we all doing it together, man. Um, so there was another moment, too. Uh, it just happened recently. kind of blew my mind. Just to realize the, the, the explosiveness that's about to happen. Like this, how big this is about to become as of August the 28th. 
And that came from Brother Dorsey. Brother Dorsey has been working in a grassroots organization uh, with the formerly incarcerated. He helped with the uh, amendment or the change in the laws there in Florida, which allowed 1.5 million, 1.4 million people to get the right to vote back. Even though since then it's gotten poll taxes, he was right behind that until I mean, he said, you know, we gave them 1.7 million for that. We've got 27 chapters across America. We've got 250,000 right now available for you guys. And I'm like, wow. You know, it's the type of power that's behind us right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And th- that, that was also amazing. Did you hear that as well, gentlemen? Maybe uh, Kamal or Dennis? Oh, absolutely. That was um, that was one of the things that um, uh, Brother Dorsey Nunn had mentioned when he uh, introduced me to um, all of us or none. And uh, and I think the other value that um, uh, that particular group brings, uh, which is not limited to just that group. But one thing that all of us and none also brings is the, a very strong voice from formerly incarcerated people. So not only do they exist in 27 states and have, you know, millions of, of, of people, but they also are very intentional on centering the experiences and the voices of people who have been enslaved in the system. And I think that uh, uh, preaches volumes about their work. Brother Dennis, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I was excited about that, too, because the movement in Jersey did begin at Hudson County Corrections. As I was running uh, my usual sessions with the ladies and the gentlemen inside the, the jail and that we had an agreement that, you know, I would advocate, you know, I could be their voice, but I just came from them. And then to hear Brother Dorsey jump on and just like the whole effort of getting the people who have been previously incarcerated and impacted to be able to speak on these issues because this issue it's difficult to to get people to grasp it in their mind because of the fact that this slavery is invisible to most. Right? Unless you spent time behind a wall, behind or been in a cell, it's gonna be really hard for a person to conceptualize not just the legalities behind slavery, but also the psychological conditioning that comes behind it. And I think that having the formerly incarcerated be part of the movement is necessary for their own healing and for our ability to validate their humanity, something that was stripped away from them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I had I a little bit more, and then I'm going to pass the mic to Brother Yusuf. I know he has some uh, questions he wanted to ask as well, but I was also glad to hear that the NAACP is getting on board as a national organization. I've been lobbying uh, for them to do so for years now, and some of the chapters mm-hmm. have helped uh, but I got information from the Georgia chapter that on the 22nd of September, there's going to have a national gathering where this is going to be on the table for them to discuss putting their uh, national efforts behind this particular movement. And there was a quote from an article that Yusuf uh, turned me on to from the vice president of the Cincinnati NAACP. And here's what he said. Among their allies are veterans of civil rights groups, suffragists, social workers, labor reformers, philanthropists, political activists, and all persuasions of educators, clergies, and journalists, many with roots in abolitionism. In the steadfast determination of the anti-slavery tradition, they plan to fight the new color caste system with a new abolitionist movement. 
That's from Joe Mallory, the vice president of the Cincinnati NAACP. Yeah, that, when I hear things like that, it just inspires me. So I'll pass it over to uh, uh, Yusuf, unless you guys want to comment on that. No, I'll let, I'll let the guests comment on that first. Um, I, I, I think Dennis or Kamal. Yeah, I, I How do you guys these, feel about uh, the NAACP becoming involved in this? I I think uh, that's that's absolutely um, uh, powerful uh, to have their involvement. Um, they they were deeply involved with um, our campaign in Colorado, um, and so um, I I think having groups like NAACP and and also the the ACLU of Colorado was extremely mm-hmm. uh, involved in 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 our work. And matter of fact, the the former um, state director of Colorado, uh, Army and ACLU of Colorado. Nathan Woodland Stanley is is deeply involved in this um, uh, this national network and was also deeply involved in the uh, the 2018 effort and so I think having that spread of voices really hones in the fact that this is an issue that we should all be working on all of us from the activist and the organizer to the clergy to especially, you know, the experiences and the voices of, of the formerly incarcerated to large organizations such as NAACP and ACLU, this should be everyone's priority. Mm. Man, amen to that. That's what I've been, we've been saying for years and years. Everything that we're going through is directly connected to slavery and human trafficking being practiced legally against uh, in, in a racial discriminatory way, in a very large racially discriminatory way, here in South Carolina, 62% of the state prisoners are black, but they, black men only make up like 9% of the population. It's like that all over the country. It's crazy, and it's all for profit. Passing it to you, Dennis. Yeah, <clears throat> I was glad to hear uh, NAACP stand up in any way. The local chapters uh, here uh, where I've been organizing have not stood up. And this is after meeting with them and sitting with them and explaining everything. Um, they failed to meet that. ACLU is another of New Jersey. ACLU New Jersey has been, we brought this up to them a hundred times and they have yet to stand. Um, while I knew and understood that they grant uh, validity to what people do, especially politically or legally speaking, um, these those kind of uh, experiences especially with the media here in New Jersey, the media is very monopolized. Uh, and there's pretty much only really one source you could go to to get something made public um, that we had to rely a whole lot more on our, our own intellect and our own creativity and how we're going to get the message out and allowing uh, grassroots organizations to become a part of that voice. Um, and we on, in New Jersey, our list is over 50 organizations across the state. Yusuf? That's really awesome to hear. So I want to uh, switch directions a little bit for one second and deal with the politics involved. When we talk about the politics involved, we know that the 13th Amendment is what we're, what we're speaking on and the exception clause. So recently, you know, we had uh, Senator Jeff Merkley come out and 
he said that he wants to introduce a constitutional amendment to end this abomination. That was a few months ago. And currently, Mark Charles is running on the abolitionist platform. And there's also been others who have gone on platforms where they mention abolition, but some they push prison abolition and other forms of abolition that don't deal with slavery. So I'd like to know how you guys feel about that. Uh, By the way, Mark Charles is running for president on the abolitionist platform. We've got a presidential candidate. There you go. Yes. Uh, Let's start with Kamal. Let's start with Kamal. Yes, and I I guess I just want a little more clarity on the question, how do I feel about um, them running on an abolitionist when you start hearing when you start hearing politicians coming out mentioning that they're running on abolitionist platforms or mm. Senator Jeff Merkley saying that he's going to introduce a constitutional amendment to end the to end the abomination of the Thirteenth Amendment loophole. Mm. Well, I, I'll tell you what comes up for me. I I get personally excited when I hear about politicians taking this seriously and to not only take it seriously and, but to, but to run on a platform or to, um, or or to, to, to actually start moving power to actually get it done. That's the type of elected official that, um, that is an ally to this cause. Um, I, I I would say that on a smaller level, um, for example, it's it's very exciting to have um, uh, even like state representatives take on this issue as their own. So um, from the Utah Coalition, from uh, the National Sna- uh, Abolish Slavery National Network, uh, we have Representative Sandra Hollins, uh, a, a black woman who's really holding it down in the Utah legislature. Yep. And um, having her involvement is 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 very amazing because she's able to firsthand get the type of messaging that we're pushing that we're pushing out, get a firsthand look at how this is all working. So when she's out there, um, you know, promoting this, she's doing it from her her place of power as an elected person. Mm-hmm. So I would love yeah. to see more of that at a national level as well. Well said, uh, Dennis. Yeah, um, I also get excited because uh, these are this question. Uh, this should be part of platforms for when people are campaigning, or as a position to push on people who are campaigning and running for office. Out of all the things that are mentioned, and especially right now that the air and the culture is alluding to justice reform, and all concentrated into the concept of policing. Um, my effort has been to highlight the understanding of the justice system as a total umbrella system and that for us not to get stuck pigeonholing into one specific action and that top roots is always going to be necessary for social reform because we need the ability to change laws to make actual social changes. So I encourage everybody to, as they're uh, dealing with the, or having conversations on politics or engaging with people Uh, elected officials, that we keep it in the forefront of their consciousness that there is currently an effort to end slavery in this country and stand with international law and the rest of the world. Man, (laughs) that brother's inspired me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right, I'm 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 going to keep it going. 
and uh, talk more about some of the uh, power and levels of exposure that are being brought to the table now, finally, after all this time. But first, let me point out that uh, since convict leasing was allegedly abolished back in 1925 or 28, depending on how you, who you talk to, no one's really addressed this issue of the 13th Amendment or the continuation of slavery. Uh, throughout chain gangs, throughout you know convict leasing period, throughout the convict leasing period of the modern age, that where they had people working for nothing, like the firefighters in California, basically, uh, no one's really addressed this. I never saw a single politician say anything about it until 2014 with the Reverend Ajabu when he ran for Congress in Indiana on an abolitionist platform, and he was the first I'd ever been aware of, and since then I've seen it explode. Now, or everybody's taking this on. And one of the sisters that's involved in the group, you may remember who, but at the moment I can't remember uh, who said it, uh, but she said, we want to make this an issue where elections are decided on this issue alone. And I was like, amen, that's exactly mm-hmm. what we have to do. You know, so let's start with Kamal. Mm-hmm. Is that how you feel as well? And do you remember who said that? You know, I don't remember who said that, but I, I, I feel that very deeply. I want this to be I want this to be the moral line for every single campaign. That if you ever cross that moral line and at any point say that slavery is okay, you should automatically not be, you know, considered among the people for your position. Um, I also want this to be, you know, deeply felt and important for everybody in their dinner tables at home. You know, I think the value that Ava DuVernay uh, movie uh, 13th brought to the conversation was um, it alerted uh, many people into the kind of, or at least introduced a lot of people to the inner workings of the legacy of the 13th amendment and the continuation of legalized slavery. But I want that conversation to continue in every household in every campaign, in every election, this needs to be the moral line. Yes, sir. Uh, speaking of movies, before I pass to Dennis, uh, there's three movies that we suggest everybody who wants to understand this watch. Uh, the first tells about the past, where, when this happened and how it began. The second tells about the present. The third tells you where we're going. That would be Slavery by Another Name, which is available for free on PBS. Of course, 13th, Avery DuVernay, which was just mentioned by our guest, Kamal Wasset. And finally, Do Not Resist, uh, which I believe you have to rent or purchase. But it tells you where we're going from this point. And if you watch those three, uh, you will completely understand what it is you're dealing with. Now, we'll go ahead and pass it to you, uh, Dennis. Uh, Do you also feel that same way, like this should be the deciding factor of whether someone gets elected or not? And do you remember who said that? Or is it just – can I – yeah, do you? <laughs> I I don't remember. Um, do I feel like that? Absolutely. It is a litmus test question. Um, and it's rooted in humanity. And if you are a person who is positioning themselves to lead in our society, there should not be a, all of your effort and all of your intention should be aligned with humanity. Question, I'll give an example over here in uh, New Jersey, uh, Morris County Assemblyman was uh approached about whether or not he would take a a stand and vote for uh, allowing the people of New Jersey to vote on the ballot. Um, He said, I need to think about it because uh, I don't want people to lose their jobs. 
And then we <laughs> followed up with him. And then he said, this time he said, I thought about it. And I'm going to say, yes, I stand with it. But I'm going to ask you a favor. And that's that you don't tell anybody. Right. So we wow. know that when the question is proposed, and I knew this from when I built with Kamal in Colorado, when when they mentioned that for both Amendment C and Amendment A, because uh, the first measure uh, didn't pass and they had to do it again, that right. the legislature had bo- voted unanimously each time. And it hit me. I said, anytime, if you're gonna, especially in a public sphere, we're going to propose the question whether you stand with or against slavery. Who in their right mind and in their political career is going to stand up and say that they stand for slavery? And to me, that was a big piece of the information as to whether I should push full force because all I knew we needed to do was present it in the open and it would pass on its own. And that's to be seen. Jersey City, uh, Atlantic City, Patterson, Hoboken, Roselle, those are the five cities that have passed resolutions saying that they stand with amending the 13th Amendment. And every single one of those councils voted unanimously. So for the state measures, in order to amend, all we really need is the right connections and get it up to the vote because once it goes up there, if somebody does decide to vote for slavery, at least, at least we know who here uh, is the fox and who here know, we know is the wolf. Right, right. You know, our motto here is you can never again say that you did not know. So once they become aware of it and they still say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and support this because of jobs, that's a problem a moral and ethical problem. You know what we're talking about, and you still choose to say, I'm pro-slavery. That will decide mm-hmm. elections. Uh, just to be clear about you know, what we mean, for instance, uh, right now, California is having this problem with these forest fires, and they're short on labor. And the reason they're short on labor is because of coronavirus. They were using prison labor uh, for quite a couple decades now, including juvenile uh, offenders to fight these fires. And the from what I understand, they would receive $2 a day, uh, as much as, not all, $2 a day, and a day off of their time for going out there and fighting these fires. So $2 a day, working with supervisors, supervisors who were making six digits. <laughs> and that's, that's the type of labor force that America uses and, and has been using throughout the history of this country. We have the largest prison population that has ever existed on planet Earth. And the majority of those people who are incarcerated are uh, those who are in poverty or from racial and ethnic groups that are particularly focused on in a for-profit manner. Um, there's, two, there's 24 states in this country that have an exception clause in their state constitution, which allows for slavery. It's pro-slavery language. The remaining states have nothing in their state constitution, and they rely on what the 13th Amendment says. So right now here, between our two guests, we have them both covering each angle of that. Kamal has dealt with the 13th Amendment or the exception clause in the state of Colorado, and they have set a model for us to follow in the other states like Utah and Arkansas and uh, all the states that are on board that level. Whereas Brother Dennis, Brother Dennis in New Jersey is working on a state that doesn't have any language uh, in its state constitution, and they're going to insert anti-slavery language into it, which really is two pieces of the puzzle bringing the whole picture together. So tell us uh, your experiences with that and and your goals. Let's start with you, Dennis. Yeah, when I first started trying to organize the the efforts, 
we got it got really confusing when we got to that part um, because people kept pushing back. Well, it's not mentioned, and I kept saying, but it was ratified. I don't understand. You know, and that's going to be most of our community and most of our people. We're not really invested into the, what the legislative process looks like. And I see this measure as also an ability for us to learn how to, we're going to have to if we want our freedom, right, uh, to learn to have to uh, create these avenues to legislate. Uh, for us was when we proposed it, the Office of Legal Services, which is sort of like a, a, a lawyer's guild that the state has on deck. So when a uh, legislator proposes legislation, they review it to make sure that it's in line with the Constitution of the state of New Jersey. So um, they pushed back on us asking to amend the 13th. And this was their, uh, their request. Uh, can we raise their pay? So I said, you know, I don't know. Are you asking me out of one person in this whole country, in this whole state of New Jersey, to speak for all of the incarcerated people to say, yeah, you can raise their pay? So it kind of felt like, you know, you really want to leave your job because you don't like it, but they're trying to offer you a pay raise to stay. <laughs> right? So posed it that way to me was shocking because what I got from that was, you know what we're talking about. And the fact that you fired back with saying, let's increase their pay, here, it had to do a whole lot more with how can we really affirm what needs to get done. And when I, we had to confront the legislators because the first bill they wrote for us didn't work, uh, to actually affirm, look, this is going to be a ballot question. Are you ready? Everybody said they were ready, and that's how we started moving. The fact that we had Colorado, and when I started, I didn't know Brother Kumar, didn't know Colorado had passed. So when we went to meet them, and the point to get them on camera was to show the audience at a really big event we did last year, last June, called Amanda 13. Uh, but, you know, thank the universe, Brother Kamal actually came out to Jersey and got on stage and addressed the audience, showing, look, a person with flesh, blood, and bones is standing here telling you that we thought about it, we did it, and we actually accomplished it. Here in Jersey, I got a lot of pushback of most people saying, well, the man ain't going to let you change the Constitution. And what Colorado did was just show and prove not just that, the, the people that, that Brother Kamal was surrounded by, all colors, all creeds, all different kinds of experiences, and they all united under what they understood to be righteous. And to me, that was also very inspiring. It wasn't, and this is usually for anybody that's doing political and activist work, is that you don't, usually your people are not the people at the table. It ends up being this small conglomerate of people, specific individuals or leadership from all kinds of groups. But it's also an issue that we can all relate on because it's not just mass incarceration um, and how it affects uh, the, the black and brown bodies and, and stateside. We're also talking about how it affects and the dehumanization process that happens at the border when people are brought across and families are getting split apart. The only other time in history I've read that a child is ripped from their family was on the auction block. And in hmm. 2020, we still have that. So it's, uh, the conversation is even larger, and I would add one final quick tidbit is that for me, this is also a psychological battle for our people. So many of us reference who we are on the premise of slavery, and now we're going to have an opportunity to go to a ballot and actually vote on it, not just in law, but in our psyche, the ability to not to forget, but to let go to the association that this is who we are and this is who our ancestry is. We as a people have been kings and queens and royalty in the, since the beginning of time. And this is for the ability to break from this and say, look, I'm a human being on this earth, 
This is how we declare ourselves, our community, and our nation, and this is how we choose to live and enforce justice. Amen, brother. And, you know, uh, you mentioned the immigration system, and you, you're absolutely right. Uh, we, I, I did a paper on them, research on private prisons and their connection to modern slavery through the immigration uh, policies, and I presented that to our revolution here in South Carolina, which is, uh, you know, the uh, uh, part of the Democratic uh, coalition, and they're working on uh, progressive policy. So I broke that down to them, and I just put it on our page on New Abolition uh, or on Abolition Today, uh, so you can check it out there. But you're right, man. It includes immigration, it includes the youth detention facilities, and it also even includes the adoption agencies, because we reported on adoption agencies that are working directly with prisons, where people who want to adopt a child can put as much as $5,000 into some poor woman's commissary and purchase her baby that is born in prison. And and if that's not slavery and human trafficking, then what is? Uh, So, yeah. Brother Dennis, I mean, Brother uh, Kamal, you were on the other side of the spectrum, and the inspiration for much of this, the work that you were a part of, uh, in amending a state constitution and removing slavery from it for the first time in uh, centuries. So you want to tell us about how you began that, what started it for you all, and uh, maybe some of the directions others listening might want to hear? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh before 2018, Colorado's constitution regarding slavery was almost identical to the language in the U.S. Constitution. And so when you peel the layers back, that could be kind of confusing for a person who, first of all, didn't know that slavery was still constitutionally allowed anywhere. And then, two, you know, we found ourselves explaining why Colorado has a has slavery. You know, one of the things we ran into in our campaign was, well, wait a minute. Colorado wasn't even in, wasn't even a state in the union by the time the Civil War took place. Like Colorado became an official state in 1878. Right. And so what was so fascinating was Colorado adopting language that was almost identical to that of the U.S. Constitution was that in 1878, well after the Civil War, Colorado by default became a slave-holding state. And so it had the constitutional ability to engage with the same practices that were going on in South Carolina and Alabama and Florida and Georgia and Mississippi and Louisiana and so on. So when we talked to people and when we were giving our historic, uh, historical analysis on this, we always had to start there. We became a slaveholding state because we allowed a slavery loophole. And a slavery loophole is slavery, period. <laughs> so um, so we, we found ourselves having to kind of peel layers of confusion back if people had follow-up questions. Um, the, the general, you know, response that we got from people was um, confusion that, that slavery was still legal. You know, so we found ourselves having to explain that um and then you know just um just horror and shock that this hadn't been done soon and so we found that because colorado's uh, uh colorado's constitutional language was was very identical to the uh u.s constitution that our messaging 
was um, wasn't as much of a of a challenge to uh, to create that we didn't have to jump through too many hoops and hurdles to explain uh, what this was. But um, yeah, so that that's that was our experience with how that language manifested in the uh, Colorado Constitution. I found that more than a few states, like Colorado, adopted this language in their state constitution. Also, California would be an example, you know. And the reason that they did it, based on the research that we've gone through, is to be able to exploit convict leasing, as you just mentioned, as the southern states was doing, which was a reconstruction period which used to rebuild the south. And they saw that money being made through that, and they wanted to get in on it. And they had, they did get in on it. Even till this day, one of the oppositions you had to deal with in Amendment A and T was prison labor issue. Uh, the prisons, which Colorado has some of the, actually has the most maximum security prisons anywhere in the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it provides a lot of jobs in Colorado they were very concerned about the prison labor and whether or not it would be able to continue. And that was the opposition that helped to defeat the First Amendment, which was Amendment T. Uh, Kamal? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, so we, we, did, we did receive opposition. Um, I do want to clarify that the good news was none of our opposition was organized or paid. <laughs> so I think that did make a good... Um, you know, some good room for us to, to work. But had they been organized and paid, we would have experienced uh, a much larger hurdle. But we, the opposition arguments were, you know, that this would eliminate um, prison work programs. Um, even, deep, even more deeply and more sinister than that, we received um, opposition from people who... Uh, who were okay with the idea that slavery is somehow a suitable punishment for anything. You know, and so there were some people who had expressed, especially, man, especially with some of our online engagement, people who were um, more than, than happy to see this in, within our Constitution. So much so that the harassment online went offline. And came into real, uh, came into a real situation that that did have to involve. Uh, hey, hold on, come on, hold on, come on. Please, someone, if you got okay. background noise, please be you know, watch your background noise, please. Uh, just mute yourself. Thank you. All right, go ahead, brother, come on. Yeah. So some of the um, some of the harassment from online made it to the real world, um, and the police actually had to get involved. Um, so. One of our um, one of the the founders of this campaign, um, Jamoki Emery, was um, was targeted um, uh, for a for a threat or an intimidation. Somebody had stalked all of the places where we were dropping off flyers, dropping off uh, literature about this topic, collected all of them, found his house, and on the ground. And, and burned it right in front of his uh, uh, oh. his house where he had his newly born daughter and um, and his wife at the time and so this was um, this 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 represented um, the you know some of some of the opposition threat that we were facing but I would actually say that the biggest opposition that we faced was confusion 
Mm-hmm. Both from people who supported us and people who did not support us. So, um, you know, there there were a lot of folks who who just did not know what this meant. And so there were a lot of people who assumed that this would eliminate prison work programs. So, oh, no, I don't want to do that because then that would mess with uh, parole requirements. That's, that's obviously not true, but that's what was being peddled out by some of the, the uh, opposition um, articles that were written uh, about us. And so this was, um, this, this was a very interesting fight. I learned very quickly um, that slavery is not as much of a moral line for some people as I would have hoped, that there were still 35% of Colorado's electorate that voted against Amendment A to mm. abolish slavery. Mm. So there's, there is something to be said about that, that this may not be as much of a moral line as we previously thought. Right. Uh, I, I think that it's very like the uh, Civil War period where half the nation, well, basically 5% were abolitionists, 45% were anti-slavery, which is not exactly the same thing, and the other half were pro-slavery. And that's kind of where I feel like mm-hmm. we're at right now. But even that is enough to get it done. Um, on the other hand, uh, I'm going to take it over to Dennis, uh, then we'll let Yusuf ask a question, and then we'll take our, our music break after that. So I don't want to understate the work that Dennis is going through and the opposition he's had to deal with because it's a different story with him. He has to insert language rather than take it out. So he's got to go around from city to city and get the city council members on board. And I was so proud to hear that my hometown of Patterson, New Jersey, got on board. Dennis, you want to tell us about uh, how that work is done and some of the trials you've had to deal with? Yeah, I'm going to say here, uh, piggybacking on what Kamal said, it's mainly, you know, the first time we're talking about introducing it becomes this whole question of, wait, what do you mean it still exists? So, you know, there is a lot of uh, educating, and I've pitched this hundreds of times already. I've been on the phone for hours upon hours trying to educate people on why this is important and why it exists. Um, For the... For the people that have taken, and this is also another beautiful thing I've learned from this experience, is that we usually refer to government or the man or the system, and uh, those are abstract concepts. It's really human beings and officers, you know, and when you find the right people, and there are there, there are good people that are in government, you got to find them. And when you find them and they recognize that if you can, you know, put it in their heart, the understanding that this is something that needs to happen, anybody that did take action just now, did it with no questions asked. Not only that, banked on, we already knew that nobody would dare vote against it, which is why every single city that has voted has voted unanimously. We're doing that to get clout. Um, right now, the, the whole question is trying to keep it hushed. The more we talk to uh, legislators, uh, they've told us that they have heard that this is on the table, but they themselves have not made any public statements about whether they stand with or against it. Um, so we do still have to also hold uh, a public hearing, which is what delayed the process. The legislator that is proposing was not aware that there was a part of the Constitution language stated that in order to have a ballot measure question, you must hold a public hearing that must be announced by the legislature and published in all 21 counties of New Jersey. So because that was not, uh, they were not aware of that part of the process and now got delayed to November of 2021. However, we're still moving on the ground like nothing changed because we still have to pass it this legislative year so that it appears on the ballot for next year. 
Hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to pass the mic to Yusuf, and then I'll introduce our music break, which I think you guys are going to really love. <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and pass the mic to, to uh, Yusuf. You want to take the break first, Mike? Oh, Mike. <laughs> Max, <laughs> yeah, I know. already at 8 p.m. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. But I did want to get a chance to talk about Marchand. And that's kind of been the, the one of the um, the the final blows tonight that I wanted to throw out there. <laughs> Leave the big bomb, you know what I mean, till the end. Uh, right. So at, what we'll do, we'll talk about that after the break. Uh, so let me go ahead and introduce our, our music break. Uh, what you're about to hear is an opening clip from Greg Jacoy in Washington, D.C., outside the White House, one day after the I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, Millions for Prison, Coalition Human Rights March, the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists in modern history. And that's going to be followed by, which is also available in video, Tricked, featuring King Crooked from Royce 5-9. He released his latest video, and it's from the album The Allegory. It's available on our YouTube page at Abolition Today. You can pick up his album right through that. So let's go ahead right into that right now. We'll be back in a minute. Abolition. Abolition. Today. I'd like to introduce you to Grace Coy, a uh, Green Party member out of South Carolina, and maybe we can get some of his thoughts on the weekend events and the culmination of it all. This is a thank you, Max. This was a tremendous experience, and I, I regret that more people were not here. Um, I thought the crowd was tremendous. We had a mixed uh, race, uh, mixed-sex ethnicity group. There were lots of women, lots of men. Uh, it represented America, and the reason it represented America is because Americans understand that slavery is wrong, and there can be no exceptions to slavery being wrong. Wrong is wrong, and right is right. There are no exceptions. Now. We, but what we've done is we have actually put an exception. That's why it's called the exception clause. We have put an exception in the Constitution for the first time making slavery legal, specifically legal in the Constitution. Up until then, it has simply been a fact. It had not been written into the Constitution. But after the 13th Amendment was manipulated to create a system whereby black people could continue to be enslaved, they tricked us. And an awful lot of us bought the trick, an awful lot of us believed that people had been freed. But as Frederick Douglass said, nothing more than a tremendous deceit had been brought upon us. We had been tricked. And the truth of the matter is, we've been tricked since the 13th Amendment was passed. At least the vast majority of us have been tricked. But there are people who are awake who understand that when you say, except... That means there's someone who can be turned into a slave. And that is morally, ethically wrong. Trick. Trick. It's a trick. 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 We've been tricked. It's a trick. Trick. We've been tricked. Trick in the thinking we need that. We need this. Tricks in the thinking since we rap, we get rich. Trick, trick, my nigga, it's a trick. Trick, trick, it's a trick, we've been tricked. In the thinking that the art is a pie to be split. My nigga, that's a farce, it's a lie, we've been tricked. If you can name a record label guy taking risks, then I can name a misdirected guy that's been tricked. Trick, this is why I don't fuck with them. Only thing they taking is your publishing. Watch you make mistakes in the court of public sin. Got you concentrating on hitting the club, getting spins. 
Balling off of your budget, that's at your expense. The A&R spending five, they deducting ten. Trick, 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 ribbon trick. Trick, it's a trick. My nigga, it's a trick. Trick in the thinking we need them to exist. Trick in the thinking that my sister is a bitch. Thinking I can kiss these random bitches on the lips. Thinking that my health is not an issue till I'm sick. Forever having issues with my brother, that's a trick. Because we crips and bloods, we kill each other, that's a trick. Think because you do crime that you cannot fall victim. Think you can drink and drive, not end up in car collision. From day one at the hospital, they target our children. Say they gon' immunize them, they somehow get autism. Incriminate myself on record, speaking on my life. Expect to receive blessings out here cheating on my wife. Trick, trick, it's a trick, we've been tricked. Trick, trick, my nigga, you've been tricked. The owners of them prisons are magicians, that's a trick. Voila, disappearing in the system, that's a trick. Trick, trick, my nigga, we've been tricked. Trick, trick, my nigga, that's a trick. The pen is a black magic hat, that's a trick. Pull your rabbit ass out and put you back, that's a trick. Thinking it's a rite of passage for a black male. Ain't a real nigga till you enter that jail. It's a trick, it's a spell. You're bewitched, it's a L. You're bigger than that prison like Mandela in the cell. Made you fall in love with sitting in a prison room. Then swept you under the rug with the wicked witch's room. What about your son sitting in your bitch's womb? Without you, he's a thug. Prison business just resumes. Trick, trick. My nigga, it's a trick. Trick, trick. We've been tricked, it's a trick. Them 360 deals got them living in your pocket. Now everything you gross is hitting difference in your profits. Thinking you the man cause you made a million dollars. They wave a magic wand, Uncle Sam fill his wallet. Trick, trick, my nigga you've been tricked. Trick, trick, it's a trick we've been tricked. Trick, trick, my nigga you've been tricked. Trick, trick, my nigga you've been tricked. Tricked into thinking your amendments really matter. The right to bear arms was only made for Grizzly Adams. Trick, trick, my nigga, you've been tricked. Trick, trick, we've been tricked, it's a trick. Thinking your degree will have everything protected. A ghetto sounding name got your resume rejected. And politicians lie, got they clever ways perfected. Cause puppet masters still control whoever they elected. A trick, trick, my nigga, we've been tricked. Abolition, abolition, abolition. Trick, trick. It's the trick you've been tricked. Oh, that was hot, man. That was from Oh, that was catchy, man. (laughs) And uh, it was Royce59 featuring King Crooked, man. Uh, Dennis, what did you think of that, brother? I got you unmuted. You might be on mute on your own. So just just click the phone. There you go. Uh, Love it, love it. Love the lyrics. (laughs) Uh, absolutely, that's how we rocking right now. Everybody walking around trick, <laughs> trick, trick, brother Kamal. Yeah, I got to agree with that. That's it, <laughs> it's a powerful song. I love it. Yeah, man, no doubt. I, I do want to give a disclaimer. I ain't got no disclaimer to give. They said what they said in the conversation. It's PG thirteen. These artists are saying what needs to be said. If it's adult language and that hurts you more than modern day slavery, we're not the ones with a problem. So just saying, we let these artists say what they got to say. Uh, it was awesome. So I, I want to open the phone lines, but before I do that, I want to get the bomb out, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like 
we just went through the whole contract signing thing to get this work done and uh, take what we have, which has already become a monster, and magnify it uh, through a group called March On. Uh, who wants to? I guess you've been through all of the conversations, Kamal, so you're the best man to ask. Can you tell us a little bit about March On and what it is they pledge to do? Yeah, so March On <clears throat> started in 2017. Uh, uh, in support of the uh, the women's march, I, I believe one of the uh, the founders was one of the women's march organizers, actually. And March On is a powerful 501c3, and it has a powerful 501c4 called March On Foundation. Both of those uh, groups, um, as one entity, or operating under one umbrella, um, they provide fiscal sponsorships. To um, to causes that align with with their uh, moral values and the trajectory that they would like to see the country go. So March on has pledged to uh, has has agreed to um, says we are actually officially officially uh, finishing up that contract tomorrow. Um, right. And so this is um, this is really exciting news. We had. Looked it over as a as a national network. Um, went through the last round of questions on Friday. Uh, we're expecting to receive copies of those agreements uh, tomorrow, and so um, the fiscal sponsorship allows the national network to move uh, freely uh, without having to worry about you know building a um, building our own 501c3 or 501c4 and all that that would include, but. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they also provide, um, other services as well. So they will be helping us to promote this, uh, you know, not just the kickoff, but, you know, just everything else about this national network. We are deeply, deeply excited about this partnership and I'm personally looking forward to, uh, to working with them. Thank you, brother. Uh, Dennis, would you like to comment? Excuse me. Now here I'm rocking with uh, uh, with Brother Kamon. This one uh, I'm not really I wasn't really familiar with the organization until you know it was brought to the table. But again, uh, it's an important element because uh, if we can have people assist with what the back end of the work does, especially with the social media campaigning, uh, that is going to be a big assist to what we're trying to do on the national scale. I feel you on that. You know, I'm a firm believer that. Uh, Knowledge makes one unfit to be a slave. And what mm-hmm. March on said when, when I was there is like, we're going to take this and turn it uh, viral basically overnight. We, here, here's an example. We'll help you with the website right away. Boom, it's done. You know what I mean? And uh, we have uh, mailing lists and contacts in the millions, including star powers mm. and stuff like that. And we're going to get this thing done for you because we believe through Senator, Ho- I mean, through Legislator Hollins, Representative Hollins, that this is something that is that important. And that kind of blew my mind, man. They, they, they was, you know, it wasn't like they were saying it hesitantly. <laughs> like, we can do right. this. We've done it before. It's going to happen. So y'all just go ahead and sleep good tonight knowing that after the 28th, damn yep. everybody in this country going to be talking about this. That blew my mind. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. I, if they do what they said they're going to do, I am going to be one happy abolitionist, brother. So, yeah, get that contract signed. We're waiting for that. <laughs> Come over there and get you for that. 
<laughs> you guys want to add any more under that? And and then I, I have one more question, and I'm sure so does Yusuf. I, I think you covered just about everything. I do want to add <clears throat> that an example of the size and scope that Marton is operating with can be summarized through, like, uh, the, the, the different groups that they had helped to promote. And one of them was March for Our Lives uh, shortly after the Parkland uh, uh, school shooting. And so um, they, they've agreed to help us reach a size and scope and momentum that is beyond – what my imagination is, is, is comprehending right now. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. It's, it's become less of a question of um, if this would blow up, but more of a question of how do we facilitate the momentum, and that's, that's what we're looking forward to. Word, word. Dennis? Well, I've I got nothing else to add to that. He's like, I'm just sitting back and watching. Let me see it happen. <laughs> you know, you be rolling like a Jersey boy. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You know, you got three of them here, or close to three, <laughs> no doubt. But uh, here's the last question, and then I'm going to open up the phone lines. We'll have time to take maybe one or two calls if you keep them brief. Uh, the number, if you want to ask a question or make a comment, is 515-605-9814. That's 515-605-9814. Please press the number one on your keypad. All right. I'm going to start with you, Dennis. Uh, what can we expect to see as of August 28th and then afterwards that you know of? So this is something, uh, I guess, uh you know, my question at the table for the whole network is, you know, how how do we kind of uh, formalize when a specific state is seeking to either add or amend or whatever process they need to amend the 13th Amendment in their respective state? Uh, to keep in mind that Amend the 13th is a state campaign-based movement, and it's just referencing the concept that you can amend your state constitution to reflect against the 13th Amendment. Um, from what I've seen now, I've gotten calls from Virginia, uh, Connecticut. Uh, I got a call today. Connecticut uh, Senate Majority Speaker uh, has pledged to assist in uh, pushing for the ballot measure. Connecticut's process would take four years. So some states are a little, according to their legislative processes, could be short, could be quicker, could be longer. But from what I expect to see now between PA, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Connecticut, you know, I've been taking a lot of the lead. I'm trying to reach out to the eastern board states of people who are expressing interest and kind of taking on the role of counseling them to how they can get the measure to get to where it needs to go. And I'm super-duper excited that we have a nationally-based organization of all of us coming together to assist any other state <clears throat> that wants to stand up and add that language. The goal was getting two-thirds of the states, the 36 states, to amend uh, the Constitution so that if we... Uh, could push towards a constitutional convention for the federal level. You know, I, I may have asked my question in a confusing manner, but that answer can stand. That's, that's, that's good information. So let me go on to Kamal. Kamal, what can we expect to see happen as of August 28th and then beyond? So starting on the 28th, um, we will be launching a um, – our websites are, uh, our, I mean websites, our, our website 
our social media handles, and we're in the process of putting together a um, a, a recorded uh, Zoom meeting to introduce all of us. Um, so please count on those things as being a part of the launch. Um, immediately after that, uh, to Brother Dennis's point, we are going to be shifting gears towards um, helping the the current states that um, that that currently have. Uh, ballot measures for this year, and that would include uh, Nebraska and Utah. And so those are states that will need all kinds of support. So we're going to ask folks to donate uh, resources if, uh, if they can and, you know, to be in collaboration with the organizers from those states, depending on what they need between now and I believe the 75 days before election. Um, we, and to Brother Dennis's point also, we are thinking – uh, long term about um, gaining a plurality of states that have amended this from their constitution. So we, you know, we're we're, you know, we'll need to put together uh, or continue putting together our strategy for for reaching out to those states, um, building coalitions where they where there might not be one right now, um, supporting causes that have been underway for quite some time that need a little bit more light. Uh, to be shined down on them. So this is um, this is what we could expect starting uh, August 28th. Thank you, brother. Now, I do see that we have a caller on the line, so I'm going to bring him in, 828-808. Uh, welcome to Abolition Today. Please state your name and your question or comment. How's it going, folks? This is uh, Britt Lunsford-Castaneda, um, big fan of the show and Big fan of the the movement you guys have been doing in Colorado and uh, New Jersey. Um, I, I'm in North Carolina, and I have been um, really scratching my head on the process to get something similar on the ballot in North Carolina because it doesn't really seem there's much movement yet. But um, at this point, there's a the, the, there's no referendum that a citizen can bring to change the constitution. Um, it has to be, I believe, brought to the brought to the House, the, the governing body of the state, by by senators or by the House representatives. So it can't even be an individual citizen. It has to be like a political party or a precinct, basically, as to bring it. So I will be following what y'all are doing, um, and, and and just looking for guidance from from uh, from this movement. So again, thank y'all for all you do. We're, uh, we're, we got your back out here, man. We're trying to amplify your voices. So thank y'all. Thank you, uh, brother. Brent thank you. Cal. Appreciate it. Go ahead. Come on. Uh, thank you. And, and I, and I want to add, too, so as, as you are working on abolishing slavery from your state, uh, when our website is live, please, please, please go to our website and, um, and, and, and fill out a sign-up page. That, that will help you stay in contact with us because if, if you get a lot of momentum going, in um, North Carolina, we want to be able to assist you with that. So, so please um, look out for the launch on the 28th. We're planning to launch midday, so that would be 12 o'clock Colorado time. Sorry, operating in different time zones. So please look out for it um, two o'clock your time. Word, uh, Dennis. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, just because it does involve um, legislators in the process, I wouldn't let that uh, intimidate you to not, uh, you know, to not reach out across the table and 
do a little bit of research and find the right legislator. And I guarantee somebody in there is going to have hard enough to say that there would stand. And all we need would be one, I guess, a sponsor so that the grassroots effort can start saying, hey, by the way, we have somebody sponsoring. And that'll let it start catching traction. Right? So once they, especially once you get a bill number, if you get a legislator to propose it and you get that bill number from them, then you have the, all the right to start campaigning and getting people to put pressure on the rest of the legislation. So mm-hmm. it is part like a tedious and annoying a little bit of a process because nobody really wants to do that. But it is the procedure. So we just got to try our best to make it happen. Word, Britt. Uh, make sure you sign up. And for anybody listening, including those states who are already working on your state constitution, have it on the ballot, but haven't been in the conversations with the national coalition, sign up. Uh, we're talking about Tennessee, for instance, which is on the ballot for 2022. We're talking about uh, Minnesota, uh, which is also uh, making moves to remove their exception clause, and any other state that's doing so or wants to do so. Because at some point, we're going to put together a package to show you how to get this done and to provide the resources and personnel to make it happen. So make sure you sign up as of August 28th. I can't tell you the website right now because it's a shh. Secret, okay? <laughs> we got to do it on the 28th. You know, one thing I'd like to say, just as a caveat to... Brit and others from other states, you know, that's one of the main purposes of the of having this website is so you can see how other states did it. And also, if I understand correctly, there's going to be documentation there as well to where you can basically copy and paste and change the name. I didn't even know they were doing it in Colorado. And people were pushing back on him in New Jersey saying, oh, they're not going to let you do what? The man ain't going to let you change the Constitution. But then he did this amendment thirteenth thing, and then this guy from Colorado actually made it to the event and was like, "I'm the flesh and blood person on the stage here. Uh I've done it." (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was an honor Uh, being there too. uh, All right, Uh, brother Brett, I'm gonna (laughs) go ahead and mute you, man. I'm going to go ahead and mute you, but before I go, tell us where they can hear some abolitionist content uh, from you. Are you guys talking to me? Yes. I apologize. I thought I was muted, man. I love you. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I want to hear the address of your Twitch channel. Uh, you got a presentation. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Twitch TV uh, slash one frog nine. We're doing a six hour stream daily for uh, George Lester Jackson uh, from the uh, from the Friday, August 21st till September 9th for the Attica uprising in New York. And we're just trying to stuff as much abolition information into those six hours as possible. So, again, I'm going to mute myself here, and I thank you all right. for your time. One question before you go, Britt. How is the uh, feedback so far? How is the reception of your program? Um, it, it's it's going to take some time. I'm kind of starting from uh, ground, uh, from zero here. But, um, you know, my partner, she, she wants to see more female abolitionist voices. Um, and, and she wants to see more solutions because she, you know, she lives in the doom and gloom of this shit every day. So when I'm up there putting like today, it just, it just gets, a, it gets to be a lot. So 
she's ready to develop some uh, black towns, some some black uh, healing modalities in Texas. So that's her focus right now. She just got her real estate license. So anyway, um, that that's that's where we're at. So thanks. Bert. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, guys, we are coming up on the end of our segment with the interview. Uh, we don't want you to hang up, though, because, you know, we got some powerful stuff coming at after this. And as you know, from listening to previous programs, it's pretty powerful. So hang out with us and enjoy the program. Before we go, I want to do two things. First, I know both Yusuf and I want to say thank you for all the work that you have put into this and for being here tonight to help us to herald the coming of change of the abolished slavery National network with massive amounts of power and force coming behind it on its very first day. Uh, so thank you for bringing these dreams into fruition of so many suffering under this system. Uh, I want to say that. And Yusuf, you probably want to say the same thing. And then I want to give these brothers an opportunity for any final comments. So uh, Yusuf. Yeah. In, in fact, my final statement sort of like segues into that. You know. Most of all broadcasts, well, I would say every broadcast, with the exception of maybe two or three, were named by Max. And he named this episode The Birth of an Abolitionist Nation. And so we know that's a, a play on D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation. And yes. we know the things that happened post-release of that film back in 1915. One of the main things was that it revived the KKK. So now... When we talk about the birth of an abolitionist nation, what do you see, or how do you see, if you could glance into the future, what do you see with this birth of an abolitionist nation? And I would tie that in with your final thoughts. All right, let's go with Brother Dennis first. You might have to unmute yourself, Dennis. Sorry, I'll be trying to find hey, All right. Um, I love the play on the words. I got it as soon as I read it. Um, and I appreciate the illusion because, again, this is something that we are going to do that's going to close chapters in and a dark chapter in our history um, as a humanity in general. Uh, for me, my message would be for those listening, and I know, you know, I've always been the positive thinker and I always believe that I can but I really want to urge and for us to be able to recognize our power mm-hmm. recognize mm-hmm. our voice that we have the ability to push and create and influence and actually create an impact um, the more of us that hold that belief deep down inside of who we are and the more we could propagate that feeling to the rest of us there's nothing that we couldn't take on especially removing 13 words from a sentence uh, with that said, this is also something that goes across racial barriers, ethnic barriers, national barriers. This is a worldwide understanding. This is human rights law. We're not saying anything that the world hasn't already stated in, in its own natural law. We are crying out to this country um, as a means first. We must abolish, we must end, and we must close the chapter so that then, as it starts to trickle down, how else can we reform justice and leave it at the question, and I would leave it to propose for everybody to think about, what should justice look like in our community? What should it really look like? Not that we're going to complain about the things that are just going on, 
But when we come to the table to be in, you know, a little bit messed up that it's on us, but if we don't do it, nobody else is. And I've been in enough of these offices and I've dealt with enough government officials to know that most of these people are not going to be able to give the answer. So for that being said, much love, much ache. Love everybody out there. God bless you, and we're here for you. Peace. Big words, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Kamal, uh, any final comments and in reply to Yusuf's query as to what do you see in the future? Man, I want to live, finally live in a society that is no longer capable of enslaving me or my family members or my community or the people I love. Um, the truth is we, had, we have never existed in a society without slavery. And in order to make this new reality happen, it will take so much blood, sweat, and tears, but we have to be the architects of a world that has never existed before. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. This, this process of, of reimagining and challenging and fighting, um, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. This is, this is a hard fight. Um, but we, our humanity depends on us being abolitionists. Man, you brothers are an inspiration. Thank you so heavy, much for being heavy. here. Uh, yeah, man, you know, don't think of it, for our listeners, don't think of it like this is some kind of symbolic mm-hmm. thing or this is the end of our fight. This is the giant first step. This is how we first step on the scene. So we're coming out and just going to blow up like a volcano on the first step. But we're walking and we got a destination. And freedom is coming, period. <laughs> All right, Brother Yusuf, uh, we come into the end of the program, or at least our segment of it, where uh, we give a shout-out to our sponsors and partners and leave you with a final quote for the evening before going into our Bridging the Gap segment. Uh, so uh, I'll go ahead and give a shout-out to some of our sponsors and partners. That would be Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, Punks for Progress, and our newest syndicated partners, the Black Talk Radio Network and Global Abolition Station and Freedom Mind Tour on Twitch. Um, mm-hmm. My closing quote will be, uh, this, this is my closing quote, we, as uncompromising abolitionists, contend that chattel slavery is a violation of man's inherent God-given right, that no system custom, tradition, usage, precedent framed into law except for crime is a justification for the enslavement of any of God's children. October 18, 1861, abolitionist William P. Powell. To our listeners and supporters who have been uh, giving us so much love, thank you for being here tonight as always. And until next week, this has been Max Parthas. Peace to our guests. Peace to my co-host Yusuf. Peace to our audience. Hey, peace, Max. You know, my closing quote is, I have only a short time to live, only one death to die, and I will die fighting for this cause. There will be no peace in this land until slavery is done for.
and that's from the abolitionist and martyr John Brown, given in the Kansas Territory in 1856. Once again, I would definitely thank Brother Kamal and Brother Dennis for coming on to the show and announcing, you know, the tremendous movement that's getting ready to occur. That's already been occurring, but this is going to go on a much more global trajectory. So we thank you all for tuning in this week. Our final segment, the Bridging the Gap segment, is going to be a little surprise tonight. This is Frederick Douglass's speech regarding the 13th Amendment's passing and the disbandment of the American Anti-Slavery Society in 1865. This is going to be read by my co-host, Max Parthas. This will be paired with the award-winning poem, Rise Up, one of my favorites, also by my co-host, Max Parthas. We'll be back August 30th, inshallah, God willing, and entering a new nation where a a national organization of superhero abolitionists are hard at work to end constitutional legalized slavery. If March on does what they said they'll do, I suspect we'll be the talk of the town. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear. Also follow us on Spotify, iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, and any other places that you find us. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. Abolition. In May 1865, William Lloyd Garrison moved at its convention for the disbanding of the American Anti-Slavery Society on the grounds that the passage of the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery by Congress in February 1865 and its certain ratification by a sufficient number of states, the abolition of slavery was now in sight and the goal of the organization reached. Frederick Douglass, prophetically, in a response speech the next day, said in effect, not so fast. Here is a portion of his speech. I do not wish to appear here in any fault-finding spirit or as an impugner of the motives of those who believe that the time has come for this society to disband. I am conscious of no suspicion of the purity and excellence of the motives that animate the president of this society, William Lloyd Garrison, and other gentlemen who are in favor of its disbandment. I take this ground. Whether the constitutional amendment, the 13th, is law or not, whether it has been ratified by a sufficient number of states to make it law or not, I hold that the work of the abolitionists is not done. Even if every state in the union had ratified that amendment, while the black man is confronted in the legislation of the South by the word white, our work as abolitionists, as I conceive it, is not done. I took the ground last night that the South, by unfriendly legislation, could make our liberty under that provision a delusion, a mockery, and a snare. And I hold that ground now. What advantage is a provision like this amendment to the black man if the legislator of any state can tomorrow declare that no black man's testimony shall be received in a court of law? Where are we then? Any wretch may enter the house of a black man and commit any violence he pleases. If he happens to do it only in the presence of black persons, he goes unwhipped of justice. And don't tell me that those people down there have become so just and honest all at once. 
that they will not pass laws denying to black men the right to testify against white men in the courts of law. Why, our northern states have done it. Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio have done it. Here in the midst of institutions that have gone forth from old Plymouth Rock, the black man has been excluded from testifying in the courts of law. And if the legislator of every southern state tomorrow pass a law declaring that no Negro shall testify in any courts of law, they will not violate that provision of the Constitution. Such laws exist now at the South, and they might exist under this provision of the Constitution, that there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in any state of the Union. Slavery is not abolished until the black man has the ballot. While the legislators of the South retain the right to pass laws making any discrimination between black and white, slavery still lives there. As Edmund Quincy once said, while the word white is on the statute books of Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a slave state. While a black man can be turned out of a car in Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a slave state. While the slave can be taken from old Massachusetts, Massachusetts is a slave state. That is what I heard Edmund Quincy say 23 or 24 years ago. I never forget such a thing. Now, while the black man can be denied a vote, while the legislators of the South can take from him the right to keep and bear arms, as they can, they would not allow a Negro to walk with a cane where I came from. They would not allow five of them to assemble together. The work of the abolitionists is not finished notwithstanding the provision in the Constitution of the United States that the right to keep and bear arms shall not be abridged. The black man has never had the right to either to keep or bear arms, and the legislators of the states will still have the power to forbid it under this amendment. They can carry on a system of unfriendly legislation, and will they not do it? Have they not got prejudice there to do it with? Think you that because they are for the moment in the talons and beak of our glorious eagle, instead of the slave being there, as formerly, that they are converted? I hear the loyalty at Wilmington, the loyalty at South Carolina, and what is it worth? Not a straw. They are loyal while they see 200,000 sable soldiers with glistening bayonets walking in their midst. But let the civil power of the South be restored, and the old prejudices and hostility to the Negro will revive. The very fact that the Negro has been used to defeat this rebellion and strike down the standards of the Confederacy will be a stimulus to all their hatred, to all their malice, and lead them to legislate with greater stringency towards this class than ever before. The American people are bound by their sense of honor. I hope their sense of honor, at least by a just sense of honor, to extend the franchise to the Negro. And I was going to say that the abolitionists of the American Anti-Slavery Society were bound to stand still and see the salvation of God until that work is done. Where shall the black man look for support, my friends, if the Anti-Slavery Society fails him? From whence shall we expect a certain sound from the trumpet of freedom when the old pioneer, when this society that has survived mobs and martyrdom and the combined efforts of priestcraft and statecraft to suppress it shall all at once subside on the mere intimation 
that the Constitution has been amended so that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except shall hereafter be allowed in this land. What did the slaveholders of Richmond say to those who objected to arming the Negro on the grounds that it would make him a freeman? Why, they said, the argument is absurd. We may make these Negroes fight for us, but while we retain the political power of the South, we can keep them in their subordinate positions. That was the argument, and they were right. They might have employed the Negro to fight for them, and while they retained in their hands power to exclude him from political rights, they could have reduced him to a condition similar to slavery. They would not call it slavery, but some other name. Slavery has been fruitful in giving itself names. It has been called the peculiar institution, the social system, and the impediment, as it was called by the General Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church. It has been called by a great many names, and it will call itself by yet another name. And you and I and all of us had better wait and see what new form this old monster will assume and what new skin this old snake will come forth. Frederick Douglass. Rise up, rise up, rise up. Lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up See the signs of the times, if it's time Rise up, rise up When death and hell dwell among all God's people When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil When the beast that feeds you stars our father's children When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing Rise up, when famine claims millions When justice gives blind eyes to billions when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep, deep in perdition, if our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism, if women and children if you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions, rise up. When innocent citizens perish for all our sins' sake. If the future seems bleak and your soul's at stake, rise up. When it appears that any hope left may already be lost. If the price is your son or your daughter's life and you refuse to pay the cost. If you ever had to ask God why in the thunder roll. Have we sold our souls? Rise up for the life of an unborn child When the homeless are reviled And the masses are beguiled Rise up when our doctrines dictate that we all 